Okay, before we jump into today's show, I have something really important that I want to talk to you about. I'm working on this a really kind of a top secret project, something that I'm really passionate about that I think is going to help a lot of people. And I wanted to see if I could get your help. Now, I'm not going to talk about exactly what this project is, but let's just say it's specifically designed for people who do not yet have a real estate business. They wanna be in real estate. They love the idea of starting a wholesaling or a flipping or a buy and hold kind of a business. They've been listening to my podcasts or other podcasts and they really wanna get started, but there's something holding them back. There's something that's keeping them from doing it. Could be their own self-doubt. It could be friends and family telling them they're crazy. It could be as simple as they just don't have a plan. They don't know where to start. They don't even know what to do first. Like, how do I start this journey? I want to help with that. And by you reaching out to me and telling me that's who you are, that you're that person who wants a real estate investing company, whether it be a side hustle or you want to do this full time, you want it to be your main thing. Either way, if you haven't gotten started and something's holding you back, I don't care what it is. Could be, like I said, you, could be your family, could be your spouse, could be just lack of knowledge. Like you just don't know what to do first. You don't know how to start. Or maybe you don't even know what it is you want to do in real estate. You don't know if you want to flip. You don't know if you want to be a wholesaler. You don't know if you want to buy rentals. If you fall into any of those categories and you want my help with it, I am offering that to you right now. All you have to do is go to mike at juststartrealestate.com and put in the subject line, help, and I will reach out to you. I don't care if you've never done anything before. If you're completely green and you don't have a clue as to where to get started, that's the person that I'm looking for. And maybe you do know what you want to do. Maybe you know exactly what you want to do in real estate, but still something's holding you back. You have some fear or something. I want to help you get unstuck. So please take advantage of this opportunity. Reach out to me. Email me at mike at juststartrealestate.com. Subject line help and I will get right back to you. We'll set up a time. We'll hop on a call and we'll chat. I want to help you get unstuck so you can move forward and realize your dream of having a real estate investing company. So reach out to me, use that email address, subject line help. I can't wait to hear from you. All right, guys, let's dive into the show. Uh, the successful ones are really, they they know their numbers. Yeah. They know what's going on every single day. They know what their cash is. They know what, and, and so they're going to know what their taxes are. And when you know what, where you know where you stand, it's much easier to plan for your taxes. 100%. You're listening to the Just Start Real Estate Podcast. If you're serious about your real estate investing business and need real answers, you are in the right place. And now, your host, Mike Simmons. Hey, thank you for joining me here on the show today. I appreciate it. I've got a great one for you. I have a legend on the show today, actually. Uh, somebody who is very widely known uh, in the real estate industry, for sure. He is a rich dad advisor. Uh, he is known as a tax and wealth expert, a CPA and CEO of WealthAbility, best-selling author of tax-free Wealth, like I said, part of the Rich Dad Advisor series. He's a speaker, entrepreneur, hosts two popular podcasts, the Wealth Ability Show and the Wealth Ability Show for uh, CPAs. Uh, he is a contributor to Entrepreneur Ag uh, Magazine 
and uh, he his work has been seen in Forbes, Wall Street Journal, Washington Post. Like he's been everywhere for a long time, and his goal is to make taxes fun and easy and understandable. And he does that on the show today, guys. I am not going to drag this out. I want you to dive right in because this was a great episode, a lot of fun, a lot of good information. I give you Tom Wheelwright. All right, Tom, thank you for doing this. Thank you for being on the show. I appreciate your time very much, and I'm looking forward to this conversation. It's great to be here with you, Mike. Really appreciate you having me. Same. It's a real honor. Uh, you're a well-known guy. Uh, you kind of, you know, I don't think introductions are necessary. We did one, but I think everyone, when they hear the name, they know they know you and they know who you're associated with and they know your brand and everything that you bring to the table. And we we talked a little bit before we hopped on the mic here about some things going on. Uh, this is obviously a time of the year where people are thinking about finances and taxes and, and all these things. So uh, I can't wait to dive into that. But let's, for the people who don't know your whole story, Maybe let's back up a little bit before you became uh, Tom Wheelwright, the guy we know now. How did you start? How did you get involved in, in, in this business? Or how did you get involved in the world that you're in now, which is you've been all over the place talking. Like you've talked to so many people. You've helped so many people. You've touched so many people. How did you get to that point? What was the starting block for you? What did that look like? Well, you, you know, actually, I can go back to I, I grew up in Salt Lake City, Utah. And uh, my very first my very first job was doing bookkeeper doing bookkeeping work for um, my father's printing company. And my mother was the controller of the company. So I a bit of a mama's boy. And I did, I did work for, I basically worked for my mom for many, many years. And, uh, and then I went to, uh, I spent two years as a Mormon missionary in Paris, France, where I learned all about rejection, which is actually a very important part of any entrepreneur's story, right? Is being able to handle rejection. I spent, uh, you know, then a couple of years at the University of Utah getting my undergraduate degree in accounting, uh, another year at the University of Texas to get my master's degree in accounting with an emphasis in tax. I spent uh, seven years with Ernst & Young, uh, one of the big four accounting firms, including three in their national tax office. I spent uh, four years as the in-house tax advisor for a Fortune 1000 company. Um, 14 years as an adjunct professor in the Master's of Tax program at Arizona State University, uh, 25 years buying, building, selling CPA firms, and for the last uh, 10, 15 years, been spending a lot of time with uh, Mr. Kiyosaki of Rich Dad Poor Dad fame, traveling around the world, teaching uh, basically how to reduce your taxes while building your wealth all over the world. So that's, uh, that's been great. Now what we actually do now is we um, have are building a network of CPA firms around the world. We have 50. Um, we're in the U.S. and Canada and uh, continue to grow that because that way we can serve more people. I love it. I love it, man. And, you know, it's funny that the thing that I think sometimes people are most impressed with are the things that they know the least about. And when it comes to taxes, you're nothing short uh, for me of a wizard or some sort of a magic person. Like I, <laughs> I, I, I've, I've, I've started and run very successful businesses, but I'm, I'm about as clueless as you could possibly be at this point in my life about taxes. So uh, I think a lot of us entrepreneurs, and maybe tell me if you, if you don't find this, but what I have found with the entrepreneurs that I know and the people that I've been around is I think sometimes we try to out earn our ignorance about building, about holding on to wealth, about taxes, about things that we can do to be a little smarter with our money. We try to just out earn it because we don't know. And we're like, I don't know what I need to do over here. So if I just make as much money as possible, this doesn't matter, right? Which is crazy. 
Well, I actually think it's a, it's a huge mistake that uh, young entrepreneurs make, you know, when you're, you, you know, you're, you all of a sudden you have all this money, right? And you go, oh, this is great. And then April 15th of the next year rolls around <laughs> and you go, wait a minute, I spent all this money. I had all this money. It's gone. Yeah. And now I owe the government like $100,000. Where's that going to come from? Now I have to, now I'm always catching up. And that's yep. one of the that a lot of uh, new entrepreneurs, new investors get into is that they're catching up on their taxes and stay, instead of staying ahead. Yeah. So what, you know, what, what we emphasize is have a plan of action, a strategy, so that you never owe the taxes in the first place. Yeah. That's obviously the ideal. But in any case, whatever taxes you do owe, you're planning on owing. It's not a surprise come April yeah. 15th or September 15th, October 15th. Yeah, it really is a big part of that tax uh, bill, that big part of that tax uh, hit is just sort of planning and knowing and kind of understanding that it's going to happen because you're right. People get to the end of the year, April of the following year, and they had this bill that they weren't prepared for, they weren't ready for. And and I think a lot of the plan, the upfront planning that, that people should be doing with their CPAs is about having these discussions early on in the in the tax year you're in so you're preparing properly for that and and some of it is like making sure you have the money set aside to pay your taxes but also i've told this story it's embarrassing but i think it's important because I, I don't think i'm unique here is when i started building my flipping business a house flipping business um my cpa asked me somewhere around february of the year after the tax you know the year that we were doing taxes for he asked me a very reasonable and simple question. He said, how many houses, because I was also doing some wholesaling. He said, how many houses did you take possession of last year? And, and even if you only took possession of it for a week because you wholesaled it or whatever, how many houses did you take possession of? And I had no answer for him and I had nowhere to look for that. So I'm calling title companies and asking them, like it was really, really stressful. And, and it was a very basic question that I should have had the answer for. But we as entrepreneurs sometimes don't even keep good records, right? That's no surprise to you. We don't keep good records. So we don't always have good answers and clean answers. And a CPA can only deal with the information that you make available to them, right? So uh, just such an important thing and such a huge part of your income and wealth that people tend to ignore because they're afraid of it because they don't understand it. So, yeah, it, it's not just that, Mike, but it's, you know, the good tax records and good tax practices are also good business practices. And so, you know, I, I think about your, you know, your question, you know, how many houses I take possession of as a business owner, I would hope you would know that. Yeah. Right. How many houses did I sell? How much, you, you know, yep. uh, when you see successful business owners, and I've been doing this over 40 years and seeing thousands of them, uh, the successful ones are really, they, they know their numbers. Yeah. They know what's going on every single day. They know what their cash is. They know what, and, and so they're going to know what their taxes are. And when you know what, where you know where you stand, it's much easier to plan for your taxes. hundred percent. And just as I should say, that was very early on. I learned my lesson. I had some late nights and some sleepless nights, but you're right. Knowing your numbers is good. If you're, if you're running a good tight business and you know your numbers, tax, tax season won't be so stressful because you'll have the information available. And I always tell people like, I don't know your feelings on this and you, you're the one to ask. But for me, um, I have a CPA obviously, but I, I also have a bookkeeper, someone who day to day is keeping track and, and under and put it in categorizing things properly so that when we get to tax time, my CPA has a clean set of books that they can look at. I'm not a good bookkeeper. It's not my, it's not my wheelhouse. So. No, a good way to think of it is, is your bookkeeper is there to create accuracy. So accurate records that you can make good decisions from. And your CPA should be there to analyze 
those records. Um, your CPA shouldn't have to recreate the records. They shouldn't have to make substantial corrections to the records at yeah. the end of the year. Uh, if you've got good, accurate records, we're, we're a good bookkeeper. And by the way, let's not be using a family member for this. Let's have a real bookkeeper. <laughs> yeah. um, if, if, if your bookkeeper is a family member, it's probably time to upgrade your bookkeeper, no matter how good a bookkeeper they are, because your bookkeeper, part of what they'll do is they'll hold you accountable. And they'll hold you accountable. Okay, where's this receipt? Yep. You know, where, where's this documentation? You know, what what did you spend this money for? And and that, it's that accountability that really creates that profitability. Yep. I, I say this was something I learned incidentally, but before I got a bookkeeper, like I was buying things at Home Depot and it was just a disaster. So I got, I hired my bookkeeper, kind of brought her up to speed. And, and there was a little bit of, of teaching in terms of like the real estate world, like terminology and things like that. But once I got up to speed, I went to Home Depot and I spent 10 bucks and I forgot to send her the receipt. And she like an hour later texted me, hey, you just spent 10 bucks at Home Depot. What was that for? That's a, that, to me, that's a really good little test for your, yep. for your bookkeeper. If you spend 10, 20 bucks and you never hear from them about it again and you never tell them what it is, they're not, they're not a good, they're not keeping, you know, really good score of what's so, happening. So if you want motivation for that, then all you have to remember is, is that if you don't have documentation, you don't get to deduct that expense. And <laughs> that's true. That's true. Uh, we all want the deductions. Yeah. And then we forget the documentation is the, what actually allows us to take the deduction. I always say that if you have pretend documentation, you have a pretend deduction. Yeah, that's funny. That's great. That's a, that's a very, really good point. You mentioned that, and I didn't know this about you um, specifically, that you purchased and sort of, uh, correct me if I'm getting this wrong, but it sounds like you kind of took over or purchased some CPA firms, bunch of them, built them up and sold them. Is that what I heard you say at some point in your career? I, I have. I've, uh, I've, Purchase CPA firms. I've built CPA firms from scratch. I've okay. uh, sold multiple CPA firms. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm better at building and selling than I am at managing. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> I am too, actually. But so let me let me ask you, just because there's a lot of just, you know, the entrepreneurs in general listening to this, a lot of real estate guys, but just from a business perspective, curiosity, what was the, it must have sort of gotten a little bit formulaic, a little bit, but what did you typically have to do to a CPA firm that you purchased in order to turn it around, build it up and sell it? Like what, what was going wrong within the inside of that organization in most cases? Well, the number one thing is always systems, mm -hmm. right? Uh, they, they, they don't have the appropriate systems in place. Um, you know, you're managing people instead of managing systems where yeah. the system should be managing the people and you're managing the systems. And, and that's really what it comes down to, whether it's your billing system, your uh, how do you how do you work with your clients? Uh, very few CPAs and very few business owners have a system for how do they meet with clients? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. When do they meet with clients? How often do they meet with clients? What, you know, what's the goal of that meeting with the client? I mean, all of those things are really part, can be part of a system. They can be systematic. Yeah. And what a system does is actually creates value, right? Because if you don't have a system, really all you're doing is you're constantly selling. Yeah. And if you're constantly having to sell, you don't really have a business, right? right. You're, you're, you have a job and your job is, is head salesman, right? That's your job. And you can't sell that job. You can, you can sell a business, but a business has to have assets. 
It has to have, and the primary assets are going to be the systems of the business. Yeah, that's huge. That's a really good lesson too, just in business in general, because if you just have a couple of key people that are critical and without them, the business falls apart, that's not super sellable, right? Somebody wants to buy something that they can come in and- That's a, that, that's a very high risk business. Very high risk business. You're right. And I think for any of us running our own businesses, that's high risk. You should have the systems and processes in place that make, I, I you know, there's a, a, a book called Built to Sell, I think it's called. Um, I think everyone should be building their business as if they were going to sell it because a, a sellable business is also a well-run business, a, a business that's really got tight operations. Well, re remember what creates value in a business to sell, right? Yeah. It's cash flow, mm -hmm. repeatable cash flow, and uh, and low risk cash flow. Yeah. And so, you know, if you have, uh, for example, key employees and they're the reason you have a business, that's high risk cash flow because what happens if, I mean, let's say they stay and they get, COVID-19. Exactly. Okay. They get yeah. that. The, I mean, they're down for months at a time. I mean, when, I know people have been down for months and months with this, uh, yeah. with this, um, with this uh, virus. And so what we want to do is we want to reduce the amount of risk to the buyer, yep. because remember that um, what multiple of cash flow, right? All businesses are valued on multiple of cash flow. Yep. That multiple is dependent largely on risk factors, yeah. right? How repeatable is that business? Um, what kind of assets does the business have to create that income? Yep. And and when you when you have those systems in place, when you when you get that that income, that's really easy. Just it it just comes in. It's yeah. like printing money, yep. right? I mean, you know, because you've done this, right? So you know, people who boy, it's just like they print money. Well, that's because they know how to do it. It's yep. because they've got the education, they've got the systems in place. And then you get multiples instead of two or three multiple, you're going to get an eight to 10 multiple. And that's really what you're looking for in your business. Yeah, yeah I agree with that 100%. You're absolutely right. So what made you go from building and selling to building and acquiring and kind of keeping like, because you have the CPA firms, you're holding on to them, or are they all built to sell at this point? Or are you holding? Them? You, you know, well, everything, everything has a price. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if, you, if you don't have a price, something's wrong. I mean, to me, something's wrong with you. <laughs> exactly. So, so no, I have a small CPA firm. You okay. know, I do have a small CPA firm, mostly to keep my hands in the business. Yeah. Uh, and to, to act as a kind of guinea pig for everything I'm doing for our, uh, our CPA members. Cause yeah. of course we have this big uh, network of members around the world. Yep. And what, you know, what we're trying to do is we're trying to, to be the prototype, if you will, for the um, best, the ultimate CPA firm. Gotcha. And, um, and so to me, it, what I really love is creating the systems. It, once you look at, once you find the formula, Okay, this is really the key to any business, right? Yeah. Once you find the formula that you can repeat over and over again, all of a sudden, okay, now business is easy. Mm -hmm. When you're when you're making a new decision every day, that makes business hard. Yep. Um, when you've made one decision and you repeat that decision over and over again, that's when business gets easy. Yep, hundred percent. So, how did you get onto Robert Kiyosaki's? Uh, radar. How, how did that relationship start? Interesting guy. Cause he was, uh, it sounds like if you got with him 10, 15 years ago, I think you said 15 years ago, uh, almost 20 years, it's almost, been 20 years. Okay. So he was on the scene before that, right? He was. So how, how did you enter his world? How'd that relationship start? I bought a CPA firm. He was the client. He was a client. Oh, that's funny. That's okay. How, that's actually how I met him is because, oh. you know, here's the thing. You never know um, when your contacts are going to lead somewhere, I actually, um, I'd broken up with a partner 
and uh, one uh, a business partner, and about half the clients had gone with the partner, but all of the staff has st- had stayed with me, which will tell you why we broke up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and um, so I had gr- really well-trained staff, but not enough work for them. I didn't want to give up the staff because mm-hmm. that's really hard to train good staff. Yeah. And so I went looking for a CPA firm to buy uh, my, my new partner. Uh, one of my staff became a partner and my new partner, I, we looked for a CPA firm to buy. And uh, I actually had got a, a piece of junk mail um, that said, you know, CPA firms uh, to buy, you know, we, we have them, them for sale if you're interested. And I called and it turned out, so this was, a, it's an amazing story because not only was Robert a client of the CPA firm, um, but also a good friend of mine uh, was a client of the CPA firm who's a life insurance uh, agent, a very successful life insurance agent. And she actually had contact with a lot of the other clients. Hmm. And uh, there was some some challenges going on with the uh, current CPA, which is why they were selling. And she actually held it all together. So that when I, and, and she said, look, I know Tom, he's going to take care of you. You will have a great experience with him. So, you know, hang in there. And then the other thing that happened was, is that uh, uh, one of my really close friends um, became the CFO of the Rich Dad Company that same week. Oh, wow. I mean, wow. <laughs> you want to talk about all of the pieces coming yeah, together. Right. I mean, that is a little woo-woo, but they all came together <laughs> at the same time. It's uh, it's truly amazing, and I've been grateful ever since. Uh, wow. The best thing about um, uh, traveling with Robert is that he's such a great educator, and you know, we he never stops. He never stops teaching. So I get one-on-one from him all the time, and we're always we're always sharing ideas and teaching each other and learning from each other. Plus, there's the other rich dad advisors that yeah. we're always learning from. We meet every single week uh, to learn from each other. So it's it's pretty. It's been in a pretty amazing ride. It's it's a terrific terrific group to be a part of. Quite that, a privilege. That's amazing. You guys still meet every week. We do. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, that's Every great. Week. Robert does seem like a guy who in, truly enjoys teaching. Like he enjoys talking. He, you and know, he loves to teach and he loves to learn. Yeah. I mean, he's both sides of that. You know, great teachers tend to be great students and sure. he is a great student. Yeah, 100%. Wow, that's awesome. That's a very cool story, actually. And you're right. Very strange and, and a little woo-woo, a little interesting <laughs> how it all came together all at once. And that's, wow, that's a, that is a cool story, actually. Um, so let's talk a little bit about what's happening right now, right? As we record this, uh, we have a new president. I, I guess some would still argue, but okay, let's just say we have a new president um, who's a Democrat, and and we have this election. What's happening in the market? What Not in the market, but what's happening in the world? What's happening in our government that people should know is going to potentially affect them or, or should affect them? Well, um, first of all, you know, the, it looks like the Democrats are going to have both the House and the Senate. Um, with a tiebreaker, and, uh, and and actually, the important part of the of the Democrats having that uh, you know fifty fifty tie in the Senate is not just that they have the tiebreaker; it's it's that uh, Chuck Schumer uh, will actually be in charge of the Senate, so he gets to decide, not Mitch McConnell. Um, so the the Democrats get to decide what bills come to the floor, okay. and and they don't have a Mitch McConnell who's been very good at keeping things off the floor that he doesn't like, that the, that the uh, Republican Party doesn't like. So this is actually a really big deal. And, and it's, it, it, yes, you go, well, 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 wait a minute, you'd have to get all 50 of the Democrats. Well, 
That's true, except there are going to be some bills that they're going to have Republican crossover. Remember, you have people like Susan Collins, you have uh, Mitt Romney, who have been known to cross over um, if they think that the cause is righteous, right? So um, I I don't think that, you know, if you had a 51, 51 senator majority, Senate majority in the Republicans, I think you'd have a completely different situation than you do with a 50-50 split. Okay. And, um, and so I think that we will see uh, a lot more of uh, Joe Biden's uh, plans coming to at least coming for a vote. If, even if they don't get, even if they don't pass, they'll come to the floor, they'll come for debate. Yeah. And I actually think that's uh, very important for the, the Democrats to be able to have those debates because they've been pretty much shut out for the last four years. Okay. Now, again, it's, I think when we're talking about this from a business standpoint, let's just assume we're talking to folks here that are running, all running small businesses of various sizes without, again, I don't know, maybe I'm being naive here. I don't know that it necessarily matters which way a person is more Republican, more Democrat. Would you see this from a small business owner standpoint, trying to be as objective as you can? Is that a overall generally good thing that we're going into or an overall generally bad thing. Now, again, I truly, I don't, it, I don't think it necessarily matters, but the, the types of bills that will come, that will come through the Senate, the types of things that will try to get pushed through. I, I tend to think of people looking at Donald Trump, whether you like him or not, you know, and people are pretty much hotly think he's great or hotly think he's horrible. In general, I think people believe he is not a bad thing for business owners because he's a business owner and he typically, I think, has a reputation for being kinder to businesses, maybe un, maybe unfairly kind, I don't know. But And then Democrats sometimes have a reputation for not being as kind to business owners. Well, here's what we know for sure, okay? What we know for sure is the taxes aren't going down the next uh, four years. Okay. Okay, taxes, uh, if anything, they'll go up. I think they will go up. I don't know how much they'll go up, you know, I don't think, for example, we're not going to lose bonus depreciation. I don't think, I don't think we're going to uh, get a capital gains, uh, a big capital gains tax. I don't think that's going to happen. But are we going to get an increase in the, the the top rate from 37 to 39.6%? Almost 100% sure. Okay. Yeah, that's going to happen. Are there some other things that are going to happen? Are we, oh, remember that the tax law is a series of incentives. Mm-hmm. It's fundamentally a series of incentives. And it's been very heavily favored in the last few years to real estate mm-hmm. and business. Yep. All that's going to happen is it's not that incentives, there won't be tax incentives, that the incentives are going to shift. And where they're going to shift is, is I think, primarily to energy. Um, they're going to shift to clean energy. Uh, you know, I, I don't think they'll get rid of the, the uh, tax benefits for oil. I, I don't think there's the votes for that. But I do think that they will shift towards clean energy. You'll see more credits for, uh, you know, for um, solar energy. You'll see more credits for wind, okay. et cetera, renewable energy. Um, and then, and, and that's a good, you know, and, and so all you have to do is say, well, look, if I'm in real estate, I remember that the, the biggest real estate boom, really, we've had in the last few years, uh, where it was an opportunity was in cell phone towers. I don't know if you remember that, but I do, I when do. cell phone towers came out, oh my heavens. I mean, they're cheap to build and you get rents forever. Yeah. I mean, this is an amazing thing. You can think the same thing about clean energy. The thing about clean energy, it's renewable. Mm-hmm. So you build, you know, you have real estate where you've got solar production, you've got wind production, um, uh, or you've got hydroelectric production. You've got that for a very, very, very long time. Yeah. And so that's a, that's a great uh, 
uh, source of cash flow from a real estate standpoint. Yeah. So I think it's just going to be an adjustment of how we think rather, uh, you know, about real estate and which real estate. I mean, for example, commercial, we know is just getting crushed right now. It's going to be crushed yeah. even more as a result of this pandemic. I don't think, uh, I just don't think it's ever going to come back in the same way. No. And uh, residential real estate will continue to boom. You know, yeah. and, and interest rates, uh, I think, are going to stay low for a long time. So, you know, there's some real positives out of this. Yeah. But but know that, you know, when you just look at the Biden policy, you know, and, and, and you just got to know this is where we need to shift. Now, the other thing to know is that the Democrats are very much about the workers and they think that the workers produce income. Mm-hmm. OK, business owners think that business the business produces income. Okay. I happen to believe that the business produces income. The workers are necessary, but they are not the reason the business survives and the business thrives. The business thrives because of the assets in the business, not because of the people in the business. Okay. Workers without a business are get nothing, but you can have business without workers and be successful. As we know, all the online people who have no workers and online just produces, produces, produces. So, I think that that, because Joe Biden has said that he wants, um, and this is the scariest thing about his presidency to me, is he wants labor unions to have more power. I think to me, that is like the worst thing you could ever say. I think I'm not a fan. I actually grew up, uh, my my father's uh, print shop, um, he was actually a fairly sizable printer, um, had about 40 employees, and they tried to unionize once. And uh, we had um, our we had eggs on our cars, uh, uh, sugar in our gas tank. I mean, threats. Yeah. And all of these from people who'd worked for my dad for twenty or thirty years. So uh, my family doesn't have a big um, aren't big fans <laughs> of labor unions. Yeah. Uh, needless to say, and and I think that I, I think that understanding though, I think for business owners, understanding that mentality that that if the Democrats think it's about the workers then that's where the legislation is going to go. And that's where the policy is going to go. And that's probably where the policy is going to go from a tax standpoint as well. Gotcha. We talked before we hopped on here live on the mics. Uh, you mentioned the stimulus bill. Let's. Can you talk about that a little bit, how the, that how that might affect us? Yeah, there are a couple of really important parts of the stimulus bill that I think people aren't aware of. Uh, one is that uh, meals, um, restaurant meals, whether takeout or Eaten at the restaurant, business meals are 100% deductible for the next two years, 2021 and 2022. Business meals are 100% deductible. That's a big deal. It's not just a big deal for restaurants, it's a big deal for everybody yeah. who wants to have a social distancing lunch but doesn't want to do it at the restaurant because they're worried about the virus. Yep. Okay, so you get the takeout and then you can, you know, set it up in a place where you're comfortable having that lunch, that works or that dinner, whatever. Um, that's a big one. I, another one is they extended the charitable contribution, 100% deductibility of charitable contributions with no limit, basically. Um, and, and they extend that for a year. Um, the, the PPP loans, I think a lot of people are probably think that they don't qualify because of this 25% reduction in income. Here's what's important. It's not 25% from year to year. So let's say, for example, that your second quarter, because that tended to be the quarter that people got hit hard, mm-hmm. either the second, probably the second quarter of the year, first or second quarter, you got a really big hit to your bottom line. Yep. But let's say towards the end of the year, you caught it all up. Yeah. Guess what? You still qualify for that PPP loan. 
because what the, the rule is one quarter in 2019 compared to one quarter in 2020. So if you had one quarter where you went down by 25%, you qualify for that new PPP loan of up to $2 million, as long as you're under 300, 300 employees. Well, that's a big deal because I think there are a lot of people who had actually stellar years last year that probably qualify for the PPP loan based on quarter to quarter. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Can you tell me about the PPP loan in terms of, uh, I know there's been a lot of talk about forgiveness and like, how does that work? What should people be aware of? It's awesome. I'll tell you what, this, so a couple of things changed that were really great. First of all, you know, we had these little EIDL grants, the 1,000, 2,000, $10,000 grants. They were supposed to have to be repaid if you got a PPP loan. No longer, they're completely forgiven. So that's just extra free money that you got last year if you got an EIDL grant. Wait, wait, okay. let me stop Second you real quick. Let me, let me stop you real quick, Tom. The, yeah. the EIDL uh, grant, uh, some some of those were higher, right? Like I know they they went up to ten thousand. That was it. Oh, that was the okay, maximum. Okay, okay, those okay. were the grants. They're not the EIDL loan. I got you. The EIDL grant. Okay, good, good, and good. The grant distinction. was up to a thousand dollars per employee. A thousand dollars per employee up to ten employees. Gotcha. Okay. okay. Gotcha. So that was the EIDL grant, and a lot of people got them. Yeah. Okay. And uh, and we thought we were going to pay that back, but we don't. Um, second of all, the exp uh, uh, the expenses related, so we all know that the PPP forgiveness is not taxable, hmm. okay? That was in the original CARES Act. Yep. What we got in this new act was now they made it clear that the expenses that relate to that, like your payroll, like your rent, are deductible. So you basically get, so, so that really does become non-taxable income. You get a double benefit there. Yeah. Um, you, got the, you got the cash and you don't have to pay any tax on it at all. Yeah. Um, I, that is a huge, huge, huge benefit for people. The, the last thing I would say that I think is, un, is very little um, known is that we've got this eight week, 24 week period. And in the, uh, in the original act, we were at eight weeks. And then we went to 24 weeks. Okay, so you got to choose between eight and 24. Now under this new bill, you can choose anything from eight to 24. So let's say that you go, I'm gonna choose 12 weeks because that's when I max out my employees, right? Because there's all these restrictions on how many employees you have, et cetera, et cetera. Yep. I can choose 12 weeks or I can choose 15 weeks. Um, I can choose the whole 24 weeks, whatever. Um, but it's, it's likely that everybody's gonna get to forgiveness of their entire PPP loan. I don't know how you don't get forgiveness of the entire loan. Consider it was only two and a half months of payroll yeah. is the maximum amount of your loan. And yet two and a half months of payroll, but you get forgiveness for 24 weeks of payroll, yeah. almost six months of payroll. So it, pretty much everybody's PPP loan should be forgiven. Yeah. Um, and, and the expenses will be deductible. So, you know, That's it's, it's, Free, you, here's the thing. <laughs> now, rule number one, never turn down free money. Yeah, yeah Okay. Exactly. Somebody offers you money, you do not turn it down. I, I, I will tell you, I made that mistake early in, early in my first CPA firm. I had a client and I was actually working for one of his associates, not him. He was a partner, but he was not the, the primary person. Yeah. And he offered to, to pay... Uh, a, a portion of the bill. And I said, no, I'll wait and get it from them. Well, I never got it from them. 
by that time he didn't he didn't he don't he didn't pay me either yeah so i never got the money so there's an early lesson never turn yeah. down money that's a okay. good solid <laughs> business advice there folks just good solid business advice <laughs> let me ask you this you you mentioned briefly the idle loan what about those folks anything what's is what are the, what's the payback there is there a forgiveness for that one what 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 do you think is happening you know there's there's no forgiveness for the loan it's uh, up to 150,000, as you probably know. Mm -hmm. And, but, but it's a great loan. Yeah. It's a great loan. Yeah, interest, uh, you don't have to start paying it. It's already accruing, mm -hmm. okay? But you don't have to start paying it until next, till uh, middle of this year. Yep. And, um, and it's, and it's a long-term loan at a low interest rate. So, you know, if you, if you need the money, if you, if you, if you're, if you use debt of any kind, um, just one thing to be careful of is, is that the uses of the loan are very specific. So make sure you meet with your banker yeah. and your CPA and talk about, okay, where, how can I use this money? Because you're going to have to report that to okay. the SBA. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Good, good information. And I want to ask you this, this is a little bit off the, of what we're talking about, but it's still in the real estate world. Uh, somebody had mentioned to me that they felt like the 1031 exchange was in danger of going away. Have you heard anything about that? Is there any reason for people who utilize that that uh, that uh, vehicle that it's maybe not going to be available at some point. Well, I, I would say two things. First of all, um, the Democrats would have to have a large majority in okay. in the Senate in okay. order to uh, and the House in order to to pass that. Okay. That uh, there's just it's it's not going to happen. Okay, <laughs> well, we're, that's we're not going to lose the yeah. 1031 exchange. Okay, but here's the same thing. For the next two years, we have bonus depreciation on real estate unless that changes. Okay. Now, if that doesn't change, most of the time, you're better off recognizing the gain and paying tax on the gain and taking bonus depreciation on mm -hmm. the next building rather than doing the 1031. Really? A 1031 is not as advantageous hmm. as recognizing the gain on the sale of the building in about 90% of the cases wow. in my experience. So, um, I, you know, maybe if you had the building for a very, very, very long time, it might be, yeah. you know, worthwhile to do 1031 exchange. Um, but remember, your personal property is not subject to that. So, the contents of your building, they don't qualify yeah. for that 1031 exchange. You're just talking about the land and land improvements in the building. Yeah. And the reality is, is that, uh, you know, when you sell it, you pay a maximum tax on that of 25%. Whereas the depreciation can be worth 37% to you. So, that's you know, that 12% differential is pretty significant. Yeah, that's a great tip, especially for people who are utilizing 1031s on a regular you basis. Know, that's uh, a huge let, tip. Let me, let me just add one more thing, if I could, Mike. Yeah. Um, remember that a lot of, I know a lot of investors, real estate investors, are subject to the passive loss rules. Mm -hmm. Remember that when you sell it in a taxable exchange, in a taxable transaction, all of those losses get freed up. If you do a 1031 exchange, those losses carry into the new building. You uh, don't get to use them. So yeah. that's another reason why you might not want to do a 1031 exchange in yep. the next couple of years. Great point. Great point. Great tip. That's that's worth, guys, if you're still listening, and I know you are, that's that was worth listening to just to get to that point, because I think that that 
is uh, it's something people talk about in my in my circles quite a bit, and people are utilizing it. They're afraid it's going to go away. They always so this is a reason maybe you don't want to do it in some cases, and, and like you said, ninety percent of the cases you might want to examine whether or not it makes sense for you. Um, listen, we could literally go on all day long. I, I would I really appreciate your time. It's just been so huge to have you on. I've been really looking forward to this, and and I, I you your reputation precedes you. I know that uh, you are the person to talk to in this arena. So thank you, thank you, thank you for your time. I, I very much appreciate it. Is there anything else you want people to know before we get off of this call? Is there anything else you want to leave them with? Yeah, I, I would just uh, just remind people that, you know, most tax planning people do at the spur of the moment, at the last minute, or just, you know, this year, just this year. And what really, just like an investment strategy, is should be a long-term investment strategy. Yeah. A tax strategy should be a long-term tax strategy. Um, when we do, for example, in our in our WealthAbility members and our WealthAbility system, when we do a tax strategy, it actually goes um, generational. It's a generational strategy. So it goes beyond you. It goes to your children, your grandchildren. Yeah. And the reason that's important is because there's so many things that impact how much tax you pay that are long-term consequences. I mean, the goal, it'd be great to say, yeah, we can get to tax-free wealth uh, this year. And some people can. I, I've had real estate investors that they were uh, literally had a real estate investor who paid a million dollars tax one year and the next year paid zero. Okay. That's possible. Okay. Yeah. However, what's more likely is after three, four, five years, we get to tax-free wealth. Okay, it's a it, it's a it's a process of developing this strategy so that you get to tax-free wealth. It's not something you do overnight. It's not these aren't big tricks. These are, these are long-term plans of action. So make sure that you're when you're meeting with your CPA, you spend three, four, five months with your CPA developing this plan of action. Make sure that it's one that meets your investment objectives as well as your tax objectives. That's solid. I love it, man. Thank you for your time, Tom. I really appreciate it. I, I just, like I said, such a pleasure. Uh, and it's really helpful for me because this is an area that I'm blind. So I love having folks like you to, to talk to and get wisdom from. So thank you again for your time. And uh, yeah, happy to anytime. Yeah. Have a great tax season. I don't know if that's a thing you say in the tax world, but I know this is a crazy time of the year. So uh, have a great tax season and uh, we'll talk to you next time. Awesome. Thanks a lot. Thanks a bunch. Thank you. All right, guys. Tom Wheelwright, legend in the industry, and I'm really happy and fortunate that I'm able to bring people to you like that. I mean, a rich dad advisor is solid gold in our industry, right? These guys have been around. They know what they're talking about. Tom's no exception. He is just an absolute master in tax strategies and all things wealth preservation when it comes to real estate. So I really hope you enjoyed that episode. I'm very proud to have brought that to you and, and have a guy of Tom's caliber on the show. Uh, we will always continue to strive and reach to get the best of the best for you guys to help educate yourself and really put yourself in a position to learn and to be profitable. So take that information, run with it, guys. Go out there and make today the best day ever. We'll talk to you next time.